Let's call this to an end. Introverts, you're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that. It's just really, really <laughs> so delightful. Um, now, in honor of all of the introverts, let's just sit here silently for two minutes <laughs> and not make eye contact with anyone around us. Just in case they might need something from us or expect something from us. Oh, 100%. People, as, you, as, as people get to know me, they realize how uh, uh, deeply introverted I actually am. And um, it, I really am. It's surprising, but I absolutely am. And so I feel the, the like, I think I'll just sit here quietly while everyone else says hi to each other. <sighs> anyway, welcome in. We love you guys. We're, 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 I don't know, we're just in a renewed season of being so thankful for Kate and I just being so thankful for what we get to do and um, for what God's doing in this community, for the, for the growth that's happening of, of new folks and families joining us on this journey. Um, deep thankfulness for those that have been walking with us a long time and have seen all the different twists and turns of this, of this journey as well. And um, we're just in a season where it feels like God is redigging wells of, of prayer and thankfulness and, and just reminding us of how honored we are to get to do this and to be a part of each other's lives and to be a part of leading this community. And we, we want to continue to say that of just letting you know how, how glad we are to be able to be here and do what we do um, <clears throat> for the last 22 years or something like that. <laughs> um, some highlights that we have coming up this week. We are entering into our Community Life Week. Next Sunday is our Community Life Sunday. Um, for those who would like to join us, it is a chance for us as a community to be connected into our community. And so on next Sunday at 10 a.m., we're going to be partnering with Rogue Love, and we are going to be doing a neighborhood cleanup um, together. And what we do is we gather, and then we go out into the neighborhoods, or we go down into the city, and we have picked up trash, and we have cleaned up graffiti on the walls. And it's a chance for us to walk the city, to pray through the city, and also to serve the city by doing something very, very simple, but I think is a representation of the love that Christ has for our city. And if we can say we love a city, but we don't serve a city, I think that we have disconnected um, our intellectual ascent to being God's hands and feet from our actual physical uh, willingness to be God's hands and feet. And so I want to invite you into just a tangible exercise and a tangible expression as a church for us to come together as a community to love and serve our community. So 10 a.m. next Sunday, we will gather. Instead of gathering in this room, we'll gather out at the tent out there and um, we'll take a couple minutes just to pray before we go. And then we'll, we'll head out and, and pick up trash and clean up this city a little bit. Um, Also during Community Life Week, we have our corporate gathering. Since we are gathering on Sunday morning to uh, reach out and to walk around our city and to do that, we do have a corporate gathering, but instead of our corporate gathering being Sunday morning, our corporate gathering is on Thursday night at 6.30 right in here for Abide. It's a time of worship and prayer together. And so we would love to invite you to that. If you are someone who, who, who deeply loves worship, who deeply loves prayer, or deeply loves just being together as a community, come out on Thursday night to that time um, of, of prayer and worship and communion for a, a chance for us to come together. That's that's Abide at 6.30 on Thursday night. Um, <clears throat> and then on Tuesday, this Tuesday, we have a blood drive that we're doing. And we need, what we need is one, this is another tangible expression, a way that we can give life to bring life to people. Um, it's something that we can do together as a community to, to give blood. And so we're doing a blood drive on Tuesday um, at, from one to six, and we need to sign up for slots on that. We would love to have um, folks coming out and, and just uh, partnering with what's going on around us and the needs that are around us. And this is an area, a, an area of tangible need that as a community of people, we can have a huge impact with simply 15 or 20 minutes of time. Um, so my, this is not my encouragement to you. My challenge to you is to, is to sign up and to be a part of that. So you can, you can dink that little QR code or you can go out to the Welcome Center afterwards and sign up. I think we've got seven or eight slots left of the 25 or so. So please, um, if it's on your heart to do that, sign up for that. Make a little bit of space in your time on Tuesday and, and help us love our city well <clears throat> by doing that. 
on May 30th. It's Tuesday night. On May 30th, we are starting two new classes. One of those is inductive Bible study. It's just a two-week intensive that we're doing on inductive Bible study, how to cultivate in your life uh, a love for the Word, a love for being in the Word daily, but also simply a confidence in doing that, that you're not uh, intimidated by it. You're not like, I'm kind of confused or I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. Uh, maybe I'm messing all of this up. Um, and then also learning some tools and techniques of how to dig into Scripture and then how to apply it in a way that is that's just as faithful as it can be to how it was intended to be used. And so we want to be people of the word and uh, we don't want people to be intimidated by that. We want daily reading and daily getting into the Bible to be a practice that we honor and cultivate as a house. And um, so to do that, I would love to talk to you about it, have some conversations about it, give you some tools on that. That's inductive Bible study. And then if you're new to following Jesus, if you are renewing your relationship with Jesus, if you are coming to Living Waters and you're like, they kind of do things differently than my churches that I've been used to going to in the past. And I want to figure out what's wrong with them. Um, <laughs> and ask some questions and have some discussions and, and do a little bit of a deep dive into what what, is, uh, what are the distinctives that God has put on our hearts to, and, and why we lead the way we do and why we teach people the way we do. And if we were just saying, what is a kingdom lifestyle? If the basis of the gospel of Jesus is that he is king and he is Lord of lords, what does it look like for me to, to be a disciple in a, king, in a kingship reality? And so um, we want to talk to you about that kingdom lifestyle. And John Eaton back here will be teaching that um, I'll be doing inductive Bible study and John will be doing Kingdom Lifestyle 101. Those are both two-week intensives that you can just jump in, have a really good content, not have it be something that's really long-term um, and, and get plugged in. So if you're new to following Jesus, if you're renewing your relationship with Jesus and if, or you just wanna get to know Living Waters a little bit more and what our, what our base, bases are and those kinds of things, come to Kingdom Lifestyle 101 with John Eaton. That's May 30th. You guys can sign up for those again. QR code, um, hope that's not the mark of the beast. Um, too soon? I know, we all know it's the UPC symbols. Um, just kidding, it's that magnetic strip on your credit card. Um, no, I'm totally kidding, it's not that either. Stop, I'm stopping, I'm stopping. Who said stop? <laughs> Was it you, Kim? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not trying to trigger anybody. I'm sorry. It's not any of those things. There's no such thing. You're fine. Everybody take a deep breath. Those, sorry. Were those trumpets? It's either trumpets or lightning that's coming for me. I'm not sure which. Where were we? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, voice of the public. <laughs> baptism Sunday. So Baptism Sunday is a chance for you guys within the midst of family and community, within the midst of worship, to declare your allegiance publicly to following Jesus. We believe that it is also not only a public declaration, but we also believe that there's a spiritual reality to it. And there's a whole teaching throughout the New Testament that, it, that ties in our journey as disciples and walking in the freedom of Jesus to being baptized. It's obedience to Jesus's commission, but it's also a reality that as we're reading the New Testament, we'll be like, that's what we're talking about. That's what baptism is about. And so if you have never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, one, scripture is, is very plain on this, that he would, uh, the scripture invites us to be baptized as followers of Jesus. If you are new to following Jesus and, and uh, you want to take those steps to follow, to doing that, I would encourage you to jump into Kingdom Lifestyle 101. And then when Kingdom Lifestyle 101 is done, it'll lead us right into June 11th where we will get baptized. And so if you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized, we would love to do that with you on June 11th, on June 11th, uh, which is also our sixth year anniversary of being in this building. Six years. Stop it! Don't, guys. I'll go. I'll. It'll take me to a dark, dark place. <laughs> Jesus, you are good, and your timing is good, and you're at work. You ever have those things in life where you feel like you'll be in a different place when you say, "Oh, in five years we'll be." Uh, 
yeah, in five years we'll be doing this. In five years we'll be this, we'll be that. You ever had that? And then you get there and you're like, I'm not where I thought I was going to be. And you can either get really grumpy about it and defeated about it, or you can have eyes that look around and go, but what have you done and what are you doing, right? So, um, so anyway, it is a celebration of God's faithfulness that we'll be in this building for six years. And maybe on that morning, we'll tell a little bit of the story because it's a really fun story. Um, okay, Galatians 3, let's jump in. We're going to go through Galatians 3 today and we're going to make it. You ever have those moments where you feel like you're going to make it somewhere and then you totally don't? I just said we're going to make it through Galatians 3. Let's see if we do it, huh? I hope you guys are enjoying our study in Galatians. I know I love it. Uh, I'm having a blast, even if you're not. Um, But I want you to be enjoying it. So Galatians 3, Paul is writing this this to the churches in Galatia. You guys know a lot of these. We've gone over this background uh, repeatedly as we've been studying through the the book of Galatians, and if you haven't, you're welcome to get on our YouTube through our website, lwrv.org, and uh, you can find those messages that we've given um, over the last few weeks on Galatians. So the first main reason that Paul was writing this letter was to explain to the Galatian believers how the law and following the law and religiosity quenches the relationship with the Spirit of God and the freedom that they have in Christ. And so that's what he's writing to tell them. And and Paul, as a rhetoricist, he is going to be making his point repeatedly and in different ways and very, very well. But once he establishes, this is why I'm writing it, he's not gonna come off of that. He's gonna keep emphasizing it. And so we see in Galatians 3, this continued emphasis that if you choose to follow follow the law, you're not staying open to the pliable reality of relationship with Jesus and the spirit of the living God that is available to you. And so you foolish Galatians, he says, I say this all the time, you foolish living waterians. Just kidding, I never say that. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is the main emphasis of this section of the letter. He just got done saying, I have been crucified with Christ. He just got done saying in in the end of Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, right? Galatians 2. So remembering that Paul didn't write these letters with like, and chapter break, and chapter 3. He didn't do that. This is all one letter. And so he's going from, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I live, to You foolish Galatians, haven't you seen, don't you know that he was truly crucified? And therefore, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing in Jesus and believing Jesus and believing in the crucifixion and that reality? Are you so foolish? He goes on to say again, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, which is human effort? Paul is asking the Galatians who would readily admit that they had this revelation of Jesus because of the Spirit of God and that they began their Christian life through that Spirit, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Why they were falling for the temptation of seeking spiritual maturity by performing works or by following the law. His point was this, the same spirit who regenerated you, who called you and cleansed you and regenerated you that would cause you to come alive in Christ will cause new life in the image of Jesus to continue to grow. Paul isn't in this section of this letter talking about future salvation. He is talking about a current reality of coming into and being refined by and transformed and renewed and sanctified into the image of Jesus in their present life. Verse four, have you suffered so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by belonging or by believing what you heard? It is through belief that 
they open their hearts to the Spirit of God, but it is the Spirit of God who worked on their hearts to bring belief. And they know that understanding. They, are, they, they began their journey in that purity. And I want us to observe this correlation between freedom from the law and a life that is moved and Spirit-filled. One is contingent upon behavior. If it is following the law, you have to behave a certain way. And one is contingent upon simple faith. Paul is warning them very simply that following the law diminishes your dependence upon the spirit of the living God that is available to you. I can either live into the spirit of God present and refining and moving and leading me, or I can say, I would like to have a system and I will move towards law and religiosity. The further I move towards law and religiosity, rigidity, the less pliable my life is, my heart is, and my mind is to the renewing and consistent and constant work of the Spirit of God that wants to take place. And we are quick as humans to exchange that relational reality, that relational dynamic with the Spirit for rules. This has been the consistent story throughout all of Scripture, right? We don't want to go up and meet God on the mountain face to face. We want you to go up, Moses, and bring us back some rules we can follow. Law and religion restricts the work of the Spirit because the Galatians were moving from faith to effort and to control, which was replacing the Spirit with the systems and structures that were being offered to them. We have seen Paul say otherwise, or in other places in 2 Corinthians 3.17, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, Right? How many times have we co-opted that promise and turned it into something that would take place within our gathering in, in 2020? Oh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's not what that's talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about. When we, when we actually, when we diminish the promises of God in Scripture and we, we exchange them for lesser applications, we actually remove the strength of that promise. The reality of what Paul is saying when he says, it, there is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. It is freedom from the law and from religion that was being offered to people. And so when we're celebrating the reality that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, we are celebrating that every person in this room is being taken off of them this humankind lie that says you have to perform, you have to measure up, you have to follow all of the rules, you have to get within a system or within a structure. And that is what the Corinthians were being told. That is what the Galatians were being told. And that is what Paul is saying is that the spirit of the living God breaks off law and religion and sets you free from a gospel of earning and puts you into a gospel of grace. So praise God that where his spirit is present, there is freedom from law. Do not be pulled again into a yoke of slavery. This is what Paul is talking about throughout the scriptures that he wrote. We don't have the law tempting us back into that rigidity that I'm talking about right now. You are not walking down the street and having somebody saying, you have to go to the temple and you've got to make a sacrifice and you've got to do this and you have to do that or, you, or the other things in Galatians. We don't have the law tempting us back into that. We don't have elders who are telling us that we are second rate if we don't become Jewish. But I want to say this as a way of application that the lie of the enemy against you is still alive and well. Prove yourself, behave in a certain way, earn through effort what God has given you by grace in the person of Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, his enthronement, and the outpouring of his spirit has been given to us freely because God and because Jesus and because the spirit of God has done that. And we apply that by saying, oh, but isn't it true that with the religious among us or the lie of performance still exists in and around your life to tell you always that you have to do it yourself and that you're not doing enough? Think about this for a second. Have you ever felt second rate? 
Have you ever felt that comparison resting on you, the looking around at others and saying, I'm not them, I'm not that. You're competing in your spiritual journey. You're looking at yourself and you're comparing, but not only you, the enemy loves to use that to say, you're not enough. And so it is the same reality that was present for the Galatians, although their application was to be pulled back into a law and a system, a temple system and an old covenant. We can apply that reality by asking ourselves, have we ever felt like we don't measure up? Have we ever felt like we are second rate? And that is why we are susceptible to Christianity as a religion that is a set of values and it is a behavior system and it is more at the end of the day, it is more about external behavior than it is about internal congruency. And what I mean by that, as we've talked about often, is that we would sit in a building like this and someone would say, you gotta, if you have this and this and this, you experience the freedom in Jesus, but all the while we're being shackled by religiosity. And when we walk out of the room into our life, we aren't experiencing the freedom that we are professing in Jesus. And listen, it's not freedom in the sense of liberty to go do whatever I want. It is the reality of saying, I am set free from effort and human condition and having to make my way and having to earn the Father's favor and blessing and attention. We're susceptible to Christianity as a religion, and it becomes a system that we can hang our life on, and everything looks right, and it's all in the right place, and it can even look like Jesus in the same way that a scarecrow can look like a human in the field when you're driving by at 50 miles an hour. But if you walk up to it, you realize really quickly, while there's a system and a structure and an appearance of a man in the field. This is not a real man in a field. This is what our Christianity can begin to look like, scarecrow Christianity. It looks a lot like Jesus from afar, but when you really slow down and start to look into my life, you discover that it is all performance and it is all following rules and it is all fear-based and it is all worried about God choosing me or sending me to hell or all of the things of blah, 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 as opposed to just being vibrant and alive in Jesus. It is a Christianity that I would compare, for those who love men in black, to an Egger suit. Religion teaches us Christ-like behavior. Religion teaches us Christ-like behavior that pass the inspection of appearance, but remove the need for spirit-dependent lives. That's what Paul was saying. If we are called to put on Christ, to have the spirit of the living God, to have the Holy Spirit so in us that we overflow to the world around us, we have to be pliable, we have to be available, we have to be expectant, we have to be dependent upon the spirit of God in our life. But if we just wanna get by with appearance, we can put all of that aside and we can just look a little bit like Jesus by following the rules and getting the system and the structure right. But he wants us to be who we are, where we are, fully alive in Jesus, overflowing by his spirit, wherever you are, right? Scarecrows only sit in fields. You are not called to just sit in a field and look like Jesus. You are called to go to the places where you already have access, where you already have favor, where you already have relationship and overflow God's spirit into those places. But to do that, you have to be a container, again, that is pliable and surrendered and available to Jesus and to his spirit and what he wants to do. John said in, in or sorry, Jesus said in John 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive, believing in the Spirit, I mean, believing in Jesus, receiving the Spirit, freedom from religion. So my question to you is this, are we living a Christianity that is more form over function? Do we have the behaviors down at the expense of Spirit-filled, Spirit-dependent lives? This is what Paul was asking the Galatians. Second question I have for you, will God pour out his spirit on you and work miracles around your life because you follow 
the rules and the behaviors or because you are walking in simple and deep belief in Jesus. Paul's words to the Galatians, to the Gentiles, to those believers, they shout at us across this time and culture gap from when he wrote these words. And it says this to us, come back to expectant faith. Come back to pliable hearts. Stop looking for religious shortcuts and religious fixes. And so the first reason that Paul wrote was to remind the Galatians that law and religion quenches their dependence upon the spirit of God. The second reason that Paul wrote was to push back and to overcome the racial tension that existed in the early church. There were people in the church that said, oh, the gospel is for the Jews, not the Gentiles. Oh, not the Gentiles. We don't want them to be a part of this. There were those who were Jewish believers who, who built their identity on being God's chosen people. And they had these stories that went back for generations to say, we are God's chosen people. We are therefore special. We should therefore remain in a special class as opposed to understanding that the reason that God set them apart was for the nations, that it would become his people. And they took what God did in a short term and turned it into a tier-based system as opposed to an access place for God to bring the gospel to every person. There were those who believed that you would be made righteous even before Jesus. You would be made righteous by following the law, by becoming a Jew, by following the religious customs of the Jewish religion. And Paul says in Galatians, no, that is in fact the work that the Spirit is doing through grace. And it is activated not by works, but by belief in Jesus. And so to combat the racism that was masquerading as religion in the early church, Paul jumped into a history lesson in Galatians 3. And he confronts those who believe that they are better or chosen or right because they are direct descendants of Abraham. And so in Galatians 3, 6, as we cruise through this book or through this chapter, so also Abraham, he goes on, Paul goes on to say, now he's going back into the history of the Jewish people and he's referencing Abraham, going back to the beginning of their story. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's putting such an emphasis on simple belief. Abraham wasn't made righteous. This was before the law was given. He wasn't made righteous by following the law. He was made righteous by believing in and following God. And I, never mind. Okay. Verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance. The gospel was announced in advance to Abraham. Check this out. All nations will be blessed through you, Genesis 12, 3. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Hey, Kim, can you go see if the AC is on? Oh, it is not cold in here. Who's cold? Who's cold in here? Who is, who is warm in here? Good night. This is what happens when we have Kim running the HVAC. You guys want me to start preaching with my shirt off? No. No, you don't. Nope. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, Deuteronomy 27, 26. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk 2, 4. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Leviticus 18, 15. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, Deuteronomy 21, 23, referencing the cross. Why would they want to go back to the law that Jesus came to defeat, to complete, and to remove, as Hebrews teaches us? So then Paul brings it back after giving this history lesson and making it very clear that there is no classism, there is no elitism, there is no tiered system within the kingdom, there is no chosen people who look and talk and act a certain way and everybody else underneath them. He is reminding them that Abraham, even going back to Abraham, was not justified by following your religious rules. He was justified by faith. Therefore, everyone who believes and lives by faith is as justified as Abraham, not because of the law, right? So this is the history lesson that he's giving to them. And then he brings it back around to their life in the spirit of God. Galatians 14, 3, 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. This is what he's talking about in Galatians 3. The outpouring of the Spirit of God breaks down the tear systems. It breaks down the barriers that existed within human religion and within human culture and within human relationships. The Jerusalem Christians who were misguided could deny people's entry into Christianity based on heritage, based on race, not Jewish, you're out, or based on religion. If you're not following the law, you're out. Or based on gender, not male, you're out. But they could not stop the Spirit of God being out, poured out on all flesh, every single person. Why does this matter? Because the original promise, all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. In Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, what happened when the Holy Spirit first filled the early believers who were waiting on his promise, this promise that he ties all the way back to Abraham, what happened in that upper room when they waited on that promise and the Spirit of God fell is that they professed the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus and they praised Jesus in every tongue. and in every language. This was the seed that the early church was born from and born for. So what then is the application of that for us today? Where the spirit is moving, diversity increases and the gospel goes out to all people. That's what a spirit-filled church, that's why a spirit-filled church must call people above boundaries of race and politics and social status and economic status and generational differences to create a community that comes together under the greater thing, which is Jesus. And this is what we get to ask ourselves. We're looking back at the Galatians who were wrestling with this very same thing. And while that letter wasn't written to us, it was written to the Galatians. We can look at that community and this encouragement from Paul to them, and we can say, how are we doing at that as well today? Where the Spirit of God is pouring out and moving, it brings us out of these camps and out of these divisions, and it rallies us and, and moves us towards the greater thing, which is Jesus. Even early on, how vital was all nations to Jesus? Even early on in his ministry, he first revealed the impending promise of the Holy Spirit and foreshadowed the end of the entire old covenant temple worship system to a Samaritan who was a woman. Hmm. You're like, oh, that was very, very neat of Jesus to do that but it was very intentional. In John 4, 7, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, referencing the spirit of God, his spirit will give, will, uh, give them, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7, he mentions that, that we mentioned earlier. Now, still in John 4, verse 21, you don't have to turn there. I'm gonna read this to you. Woman, Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. They were talking about their different, their different religion. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. That's the promise from Abraham. All nations. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And when the disciples returned, they were surprised to see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. Samaritan being a racial class. The woman being believed in that time to be inferior. They were shocked, it translates as. Jesus' disciples were shocked that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan and to a woman. And I want this to sink into you. Jesus traveled and he hung out with people who looked down on women and non-Jews as inferior. More bluntly, the disciples were sexist and racist. Think about Acts chapter 10. God had to send an entire vision to Peter repeatedly over and over, lowering down the blanket of unclean animals to say, do not call unclean what I have called clean, to teach him to change his heart toward the Gentiles. And did it take? Yeah imperfectly and slowly and with some arguments and some disconnects with Peter and Paul. He sent Peter into that trance to teach him that the Holy Spirit was for the Gentiles too. And then that confirmation of that began to happen as it broke out in the early church where where the where gospel of Jesus was preached that people were filled with the Spirit of God. The confirmation of God choosing people is that the Spirit of God falls on them and that the Jews... And the elitists and the religious can't say, like, you can't come in. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. When the Spirit is literally falling on them and marking them and saying, they're my sons and daughters. They're my sons and daughters. They're my sons and daughters. And so what religion tries to restrict, the Spirit of God says, come in. Come in. That's how vital all nations was to Jesus. But here we have these disciples who are shocked that Jesus would be talking to a Samaritan Acts chapter 10, Peter having this trance. And understand this, we're talking about halfway, almost halfway through the book of Acts. And Peter is still confronting racism in his heart. And this, kind of, this may make you cringe because you've probably been taught to read the Bible from a really Western mindset where you've cleaned up all of the people in the Bible and you're like, everything that anybody does in the Bible is good and I follow them and they're the best and they never made any mistakes and they're not like me at all. And like, no, let's not clean them up. Let's, let's understand. These are real people on a real journey of transformation with Jesus. And the promise is, is that the Holy Spirit will meet you and transform you. It's not gonna be religion and law and following the rules. It's gonna be a real pliable open heart of belief that allows the spirit of God to transform you. And so if you have the disciples who are halfway through the book of Acts, still planting churches, still people seeing people have the gospel, believing in the gospel, and they're still wrestling with these things. That could make us cringe, but guess what? There were still some weeds in Jesus' followers when he left. And the solution for that Was it more rules and Bible studies? Was it to go back to the temple system? No, the solution that Jesus had for that is it's good that I go away because my spirit can be poured out upon you. And so the solution for the things inside of them that were not yet conformed to Jesus was the spirit poured out upon them to transform them and to continue that ongoing work. Jesus told another parable while he was on earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and, the form, and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants said, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tend the harvesters. I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
And just like in Jesus' parable, there were still some or maybe a lot of weeds in the early church. And Paul in Galatians and in his other letters was confronting those weeds, elitism, religiosity, racism, sexism, legalism. And in case we think that we have arrived or we believe things in our life are okay, or validated because Jesus says relationship with us, maybe there are some weeds mixed in with our wheat. And if it's true of the early church, if it's true of what Paul is doing, then it's good for us to apply this by taking a moment and just saying, just because Jesus has left something alone in my life for a season doesn't mean that he's endorsed it. And just like in the early church, Paul is choosing a time to remind them that not everything that is happening within your community is endorsed and reflective of God. And there are times when I need to come in and to confront those things and that you need to allow the Holy Spirit to confront you and convict you and to change those things. That's what Paul was doing. And if we're to apply that reality to our life today, it is the same thing for us, both as a community God, is there anything that has grown up in us? I know there's healthy things that are happening, but is there anything that has grown up in us that maybe it's time to remove? And then in our individual lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our business relationships, in our friendships, in our personal life, in our private life, in our secret life, could it be that there are things that have existed there for a long time and just by being there a long time, we believe that God is okay with it and that maybe even he's endorsed it because he hasn't stopped me yet. Instead, what he may be saying is, you weren't strong enough yet for me to remove that. I will grow you by my spirit till I can bring you to a place where that can be removed from your life, from your mind, from your heart, from your thinking, from your behavior in a way that will not damage what I'm doing right now. Seasons of growth are wonderful, but what seasons of growth also show us are some of the weeds that are also growing. Anybody notice this at the end of the rainy season? Oh, it's so wonderful, everything is green. Holy cow, there's so much weeds. What in the world happened when God blesses us? As God pours out his spirit upon us, as God moves upon the earth, things grow. What we have to have is a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we can discern what needs to be removed and what is healthy, what needs to be cultivated and pruned and removed, what needs to be left for a season. We get to do that with the spirit of God. If a marriage, if a couple sits down with me in their marriage and says, oh, this is just how it's always been, and it works for us, there's a difference between a marriage working and a marriage thriving. And for us to get to a place where our marriage is thriving, we have to work, look at some of the things that we have allowed to just work and say, God, is this really what you have for me? Now, marriage is just an example, but you can take that to your life and say, this is just what works. When people say to me, oh, I'm just wired this way. <laughs> this is how I've always been. I'm just wired this way. That is the most blatant excuse for spiritual, for the inability to grow spiritually that I can think of. God didn't wire you that way. God didn't make you that way. Your life wired you that way. Your, your, did I say wife? I meant life. Your life... <laughs> We were, we were talking about marriage. I don't know if I just mixed those up. God didn't make you this way. Your wife made you that way. And if you really want to change, there's no hope. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just wired this way. What I'm saying is God made me this way to have these kind of relational nuances, to have these sorts of outbursts, to get angry about these things, to do this just the way I'm wired. But I want you to hear this, that God knows the original design of who you are and how you're crafted. And we can't just say to him, this is how I'm wired. There are things that are growing in your life that are extremely healthy and there are weeds that still exist, just like there were in the early church that Paul was confronting. And what we have is a relationship with the spirit of the living God to be able to show us in season when it's time to harvest the good and remove the bad. 
because God is always growing us, and that's the beauty of it. But as he grows us, there are things that you're gonna see that are like, okay, it's time to deal with that. It's time to deal with that in my mind. It's time to deal with that in my heart. It's time to deal with that in my relationship with my kids. It's time to deal with that in my relationship with my parents. It's time to deal with that in my marriage, whatever it may be. How are we doing on time? So good, that's great. Imagine you get really sick and the doctor says you have a tumor. It's a little, little, too, little too much there. Sorry, I just went from like humor to intensity. Hey, let's all, I'm gonna give you an example that's a little bit intense. Imagine you get sick and a doctor says you have a tumor, but it's not gonna kill you immediately. You'll just have to live with it, sickness, etc. Or we can remove it and you'll heal completely but you're not healthy enough or strong enough for surgery right now. You need to get stronger first. What are you going to do? You're gonna do whatever it takes to get stronger so that you can endure the surgery so that you don't have to live with constant sickness and you can be healed completely. Spirit-filled growth that God is giving to us, I believe, is often bringing us to places where some of the things that exist in our life that are maybe making us sick in some ways, are that God is always bringing us into strength so that when we stand, we, we, are, we are with him, he's empowering us and pouring strength into us and not to be like, oh, you're perfect. He's gonna say, now that you're strong, I would like to say a couple things to you that I couldn't say to you before because you wouldn't have it, you weren't ready to hear it, you weren't mature enough to receive correction or conviction of the Spirit. And so in his patience, he allows things to remain while still growing you in his Spirit to bring you to a place where he can then address those things. Just because he's allowing them to exist doesn't mean that he's endorsing them. It's very well the fact that that thing could be unhealthy, but he wants to remove it as you remain with him and grow with him to a place of strength. This is the reality of our relationship with the Spirit. We do not get rid of the weeds in our life by following religious rules. We get rid of the weeds in our life by having a relationship with the Spirit of God who wants to grow us to a place of strength so that he can deal with the things that he wants to deal with in our life. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. As the early church grew, the weeds of division, of racism, of sexism, of legalism, they were all exposing themselves. And Paul was stewarding the work of the Holy Spirit to harvest the wheat, the good faith, the belief, and to remove the weeds, law, legalism, religion, and racial tension. Gall dang. I'm gonna have the worship team come up here. I wanna read, I wanna read this last little bit of Galatians as we close up our time today. Listen, listen to Paul's words to the Galatians. And thank you guys for hanging in, to me, hanging in with me. I know this has been a lot. Brothers and sisters, let me make an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people. It doesn't mean that it's to a certain race as they were understanding it. But and to your seed, Genesis 12, 7, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise for uh, the blessing to all nations. For if the inheritance, the Holy Spirit, depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? What was the point of that? If the, if the promise to Abraham supersedes that law that was given on Mount Sinai, why give it at all? It was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred had come, which was Jesus. 
The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, Moses. A mediator, however, implies that more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who were following the law. No, those who believe. Before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Said another way, the law came to give us a structure that we could grow up in so that a time would come when we would be strong enough to believe in Jesus and we could do away with this law. Jesus grows us wheat and weeds until a time comes when we're strong enough to endure the harvest and to see things separated out of our life. This is the same thing that, Jesus, that God was doing with his people. The law had a purpose and a time and a place, but to try to live under it after it has been removed is for us to go back into religion instead of remaining in a place of maturity that the spirit is bringing us into. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither. What is the division that the Spirit was going after in the early church? There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is not slave or free, nor is there male or female. These are all the dividing points that existed within the early church. Don't just transport it to today, but listen, these are the actual division lines that the Spirit of God and Paul were going after because of Jesus. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the original promise to Abraham of his spirit and to all nations. That is where Paul is bringing this beautiful section of the letter back to you. I want us to grow in that reality. I hear a call as I've been praying for this message and for this morning and I, at 11.30, we're usually done, and so we're gonna get you guys out of here, or at least I'll finish preaching. But I want to open up communion to you. Um, you are welcome to go get your kiddos if you need to. The middle schoolers will also be done, but we wanna hold space in here till about 11.45, and so I've asked the worship team to continue to worship that this atmosphere of prayer, and if you would like to as a family or as an individual, just mark this morning as a, as a time to take communion. But I wanna share with you as a pastor a couple things that I hear. I hear a call to us releasing control and outcomes, rejecting religion and an end to performing, that we would come back to having pliable and dependent hearts that exist upon our relationship with the Spirit of God and that we would in that, that we would be one new humanity. And I hear a call to believe and to have faith that simple faith that what he began in you, in us, in the church, in the world will be brought to completion. He is at work. He is growing us. He is removing weeds from our lives, from our homes, from our church, and from our community. But the question is, will we let him sift the fields of our church of our faith and of our hearts. If he wasn't done doing that within the early church, he's not done doing that in us. If he wasn't done doing that in the disciples, guess what? He's not done doing that in you. Just because you've walked with Jesus a long time doesn't mean that he's finished. 
Just because something has been comfortable and familiar in your life doesn't mean that the Spirit of God doesn't want to tap you on the shoulder of your heart and say, can we talk about that thing? Can we talk about that belief? Can we talk about that reaction? Can we talk about that attitude? Can we talk about that behavior? Or have you marked it off limits to the Lord? Have we become hard and rigid and we are more looking like that scarecrow Christianity that if you drive by it, it looks like Jesus? Or are we longing for a type of following Jesus where as people get close to us, we are pliable and soft and we are renewed in conviction, but also in communion as he restores us and renews us and teaches us and builds us. That's what I want us to have as a people. Hosea 10, 12. A promise and a prophecy for the people of Israel that was manifest and made whole in Jesus. I said this, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Now is the time. Now is the time to plow up the hard ground of your hearts. And I don't want this to be a difficult word for us this morning. I just want you to hear that I respect and believe so deeply that God has been growing you and maturing you and building you and restoring you and strengthening you and taking places where in your weakness you weren't ready for surgery. He has been growing you and pouring himself out upon you, but he didn't just grow you to be strong. He grew you so that you could endure the reality of conviction and repentance and removal that continues by the Spirit of God that brings us into Christ-likeness that following religion could never do. And so in challenging you to plow up the hard ground of your hearts and minds and lives, I'm not just bringing you a hard word. I'm saying, I believe that God has been growing you for this moment. And I believe that it's time. It's time for us to give our marriages back to him. It's time for us to give our passions back to him. It's time for us to give our areas of influence back to him. It's time for us to give our behaviors back to him. It's time for us to give our secret places back to him. It's time for us to give our failures back to him. Not because we're weak, but because we are strong in him. And he's brought us to the place of being able to do that. And listen to me. I know we're over time, but listen to me. And if you're not ready to do that, that doesn't mean that you need to depart from him. That means that you need to abide with him, that you would be so grafted and rooted into him that you would continue to grow until it's time to be pruned. If you're not ready to be pruned, it doesn't mean you're getting broken off and thrown away. It means that he is saying, stay in me and we will grow together. And then we'll prune when the time is right. I'm not giving you performance. I'm giving you an invitation to live in intimacy with the Holy Spirit that grows you to a place where you can endure the conviction and the pruning and the repentance that is required to be transformed every day into the image of Jesus, which is the mark of a vibrant faith. The mark of a vibrant faith is not that you just look like Jesus when people walk by your life. The mark of a vibrant faith is that when everything breaks apart and everything's a mess and things are wrong, that Jesus comes out of you. That Jesus comes out of you. That Jesus comes out of us everywhere that we go. I love you guys. I wanna pray over us and then I wanna invite you to, of course, you're welcome to go, but I also wanna invite you to take some time to take communion, um, to pray, to respond in worship. Jesus, as I said at the beginning, I'm so thankful that we are not here doing something that we invite you to. Come and, come and be a part of our thing. We are here simply to point our hearts, ourselves and others to what you're already doing and the invitation that you have to join you. I pray God for growth, for deep spiritual growth to happen in every single one of us, not just so that we can be strong, 
for the appearance of strength, but that we could be strong to endure the pruning that you have for us. To why? To bring us into more fruitfulness. To bring us into deeper relationship with your spirit. To bring us into a spirituality that is not contingent upon behavior and doesn't pass the test of congruity, but to, also, but to bring us into that place of spiritual vibrancy where we don't just look like you, but we are becoming more and more like you in our responses, in our actions, in our lives. Look. And are refined to be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys.